Okay. All right. Well, uh, welcome back, everyone. It is good to be back. It's like I say, it's been almost a month since I've been up at the pulpit uh, between almost COVID and getting COVID and the bishop and all sorts. All good. Uh, all, well, the bishop is good stuff. The other isn't. But um, it's good to be back up front and to be able to play catch up a little bit on this sermon series I planned out on things we value. And I'll give my standard disclaimer that it's not an official church value statement. It's not the official ELCA value statement. It's more kind of things that I would say to someone who came up and asked me, what does your church stand for? What do you believe? These are some of the things I would highlight. Uh, and so take it for what it is as an informal list of things. Uh, today I want to look at this idea of inclusion and uh, that, that's sort of our theme for today. And like I say, you've got the little papers if you want to share, uh, so share the good or grieve the bad. Uh, you can post it up there. It's a place I wanted, I wanted to provide an opportunity to recognize uh, our experiences anyway. So you can put that up there. But we're going to look at that. Well, let's start out uh, talking about this in the way that Jesus looked at it, right? Let's get back to the source. So we'll look at Luke 5. Uh, this, wasn't, this wasn't our Bible reading for today. Those kind of got jumbled up with everything. So, uh, Luke 5. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. So you get this great scene, right? Jesus just comes up to Levi. I always wonder as a kid, like, you know, you come, he just comes up and he says, follow me, and people seem to drop everything and follow him. Did he know them? Um, did he have that kind of influence? I don't, who knows? Uh, but the thing we, of course, always miss these days is what it meant to invite a tax collector to come and be a part of your group. Uh, You've you got to remember, tax collectors back then, they worked for Rome. They were not like our IRS agents today who are civil servants, you know, doing what our elected democracy uh, instructs. They worked for Rome and they got their jobs by offering to get the highest bill and then they could take a cut, they could bill even more on top of that. It was a very ruthless, fairly unjust system. The people who did it were seen as traitors, uh, as colluders with the enemy. They weren't just seen as being meanies. Um, and Jesus comes up to one of those guys and says, hey, come and follow me. Join me. Uh, and, and Come and be a part of my group. So he invites, a, he invites what's seen as a traitor to be a part of a group. He'll probably go, how unpatriotic of you, Jesus. And this Levi, of course, gets welcomed by Jesus. And how, it's, how does he thank him? He throws a big party and invites all his tax collector friends. And they have this big party. Now, this is a huge deal. Right? Jesus is given a place of respect by Levi in this house um, with all his friends, and yet <laughs> no respectable rabbi of that time would have go even gone into the house because this is a tax collector house. They're sinners, of course, never explains exactly what those sinners are sinning, what their sin is, but the belief was since they aren't following the ritual purity codes and they aren't following the restrictions, how do we know you know, that that whole house might not be unclean. 
So depending on how strict you were, you might, as a rabbi, you might not even have gone in that house. You might not even have stepped in, all right? And before you did, you might, if you were thinking about it, you might have sent a scout in there to check. What kind of food do they have? What's going on in there, right? Are they throwing a party? They got dancers there, you know? Are there Romans, Greeks, or the sinners? They got prostitutes in there, too. I don't know, right? So a proper rabbi wouldn't have even gone in. It would have made him unclean by contact or at least ruined his reputation. You know? Or people might have said that, said that, you know, are you by being in the presence endorsing that behavior? Are you endorsing what they're doing by being there? Uh, just by being around that kind of stuff. I, I think about this. I get these Facebook invites. I've met some interesting people being down in Midtown working with open space. And I get invited to things that... I honestly never thought I'd get invited to. I get invited to raves. <laughs> raves. Could you see me at a rave? <laughs> Sit with my glow stick. <laughs> I mean, come on. And it's not, like, it's not like I make some big secret that I'm just a middle-aged white guy, you know, with a bunch of kids. They, they know who I am, yet they I get invited to raves. I get invited to um, uh, techno discos parties. Um, I, I know a guy, he makes a lot of the music. And so he invites me to his shows. And I've always thought this would be a really cool thing to go to. And then I look at the time. He, the show starts at 12.30 a.m. That's two and a half hours after I've already fallen asleep. Right? Um, so I get, I get invited to these things. There was one guy that was invited. He kept inviting me a lot to these uh, events. He called them religious events. And I kept trying to figure out what was religious about it. There, there was a bunch. I think they were sharing lots of orange pills that have various hallucinogenic properties um, around at these parties. And so then I'm like looking on the Facebook page, I'm like, what goes on at these things? And I'm like, oh, a lot of stuff goes on at these things. It's not just the little pills. There's lots of green leafy things getting lit up all over the place. And, 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 I, and I think about like, what would, happen, what would happen if I go? And there's one part of me that's like, man, this could be a really good evangelism opportunity. I could meet some people who never go to church. But you know what? But you know what then I go, you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to find out. Someone's going to find out. They're going to call the bishop. Bishop Hutterer, now you, yeah, you know who, you know, you've seen her, right? Bishop Hutterer, I saw Lars down at that party down there. And you know what was going on down there? I saw the smoke coming out of the windows. And I want to tell you what I heard in the backyard. What was a pastor doing around that kind of stuff? So I'd get the obligatory call. Lars, what was going on? And I would be like, you know, yeah, I had this great evangelism thing. And then, well, there's been concern that you're in taking in various things. And I'd just go, I was there, but I did not imbibe. <laughs> but I did inhale. Because it was everywhere. It was in every room. You couldn't go anywhere without it. I tried going on the back porch, it was, it was there too. But it didn't mean anything. I didn't like it. I don't know, what do I say? I don't know. I try, I try to imagine myself with these kind of things, right? And I realize that, that, that it's one thing to say, to sit and pick up your Bible and read about Jesus going to Levi's house. But, you know, honestly... Do we, are we okay? Would you be okay with your pastor going to raves? The first service, somebody yelled, no. <laughs> I said, see? That kind of proves my point. 
And, 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 and this would be anything new. I mean, you look what happened to Jesus. Go to Luke 5. Keep going. How, how, how does the story finish out? The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, they, they, they were all outraged. They're coming, they're all outraged that they perceive Jesus as hanging out with the wrong crowd. Or maybe that he's teaching his disciples to do it. Right? And, and that he's imbibing. Why do you eat and drink? So apparently Jesus, Jesus did imbibe. And in fact, he gets, in, he gets accused of this a lot. At one point, he even retaliates with him and goes, Oh, John the Baptist, he didn't eat or drink anything, and you thought he was crazy. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and he's a drunk and a glutton. You can't, I can't win with you people. He didn't say that was not exactly how he worded it. But that was kind of the idea, right? So Jesus was there. He was eating and drinking. But he's not keeping the separations that are necessary according to the strict following of the holiness codes. He's taking a different attitude, an attitude that's more like participate first, build the relationship, build the community, let the repentance follow later. Because notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't put any preconditions. He doesn't say, well, Levi, you know, you got to do all these things, and I can't go there until your friends have cleaned up their act first. Or he doesn't say, well, let's meet at a neutral place where I won't be contaminated by your sinner and tax collector friends. Boy, that would be, you know, not, nothing like telling, telling someone you're too dirty for me to be around. Well, that, that goes over well, doesn't it? You know? Jesus doesn't. No preconditions. He just loves first and he loves unconditionally. And he doesn't really do, even do any lecturing of the people when he's there. He talks about the need for repentance, but he doesn't ever actually tell them, you must repent. He says he eats and drinks, but he doesn't tell anyone, you're going to hell, you better change. It's almost like he figures that maybe just being there opens a door for the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus cares more about the people than he does about perfectly following those purity laws. No preconditions, no lectures, no separations. What a guy. I will bet there were a lot of people that day who saw a new face of God. But then this group of Pharisees come along, right? A group of them, not all of them, but a group of them. They came along, and they're, they're more concerned about Jesus breaking the purity laws, about his perception of, of cavorting with the enemy, about potentially endorsing sinning, about partaking in too much wine. They're more worried about that than they're excited about the possibility of new people coming to faith in God. I would say your priorities are a little bit maybe skewed in that case. But that's part of what I love about Jesus. When he, when he takes this inclusion thing, he just goes all in. And when he does it, he ends up inadvertently excluding a bunch of the people who don't want him including all these others. Right? I mean, the religious authorities, they want to keep these boundaries between the holy and unholy, the religious and the sinner, the clean and the un unclean. And Jesus can't have it both ways. He can't please both factions when, you know, when one group refuses to be in the room with the other. And notice it's interesting, too. It isn't the sinners and tax collectors who are saying, I don't want to be around the religious people. 
It's the other way around, right? But Jesus has to choose who he's going to party with. I would imagine the sinners and tax collectors were a lot more fun. <laughs> to welcome all means he can't welcome all. And that's the hard part about being a church that wants to be inclusive. Some people don't want to be in the room with certain other people. They don't want to be there if other people are there. Right? They say everyone's welcome, but they don't always really mean it. You know? They mean more like, you know, everyone's welcome as long as what? They don't make me uncomfortable or it, it doesn't mess things up. You know? All are welcome. And I say, okay, great. Let's have home, let's have, you know, have homeless people come stay overnight. Pastor. Pastor, they're going to ruin the church. I'm like, oh, you mean the people Jesus hung out with is going to ruin Jesus' church? I got told one time, one time I actually got looked at, I was told, Lars, all this stuff you're doing with all these kids, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's one thing to do that, but, you know, we're not an inner city church. I'm like, whoa, nothing loaded in that comment, huh? Well, isn't it, no, that's not even a subtext. Keep those people away, Lars. I'm like, holy mackerel. And then, of course, you have the third one, the way that I call, I call it sort of grace period inclusion. You're not saying you can't come, but you can come for a while, then you've got to get with the program. And I see this more and more, you know, particularly with churches that have a very sort of negative stance towards homosexuality, they know it's not good marketing to put it on the front of your webpage, gays go home. So what do they say? All are welcome. And they use the right language, and then somebody goes along, and they join, and six months later, they're sitting at the new member class, and then they get told, oh, by the way, now that you're becoming a Christian, you got to either pray it away, bottle it up, something. And you go, oh, you had your grace period, right? That's what we really mean. You're welcome until, but now it's time to get with the program and conform. And uh, they're putting conditions on it. Now, before you think I'm too judgmental of that, I'll say I do exactly the same thing, and I think we all do. The question is just, what conditions are you going to put on it? I would, glad, I would, without any hesitation, tell somebody who's mean, who's a bully, no, <laughs> maybe you need to think about this before you join first. I would tell a pimp, stop your trafficking. I would tell a drug dealer, stop your dealing. I would tell an investment banker who does leverage credit default swaps, bundling mortgages and causing people to default on their houses. Maybe you need to stop doing leverage credit default swaps. I've never entirely understood what it is, but I know a lot of people lost their houses because of it. You know? I'd tell the, the guy making his parts with child labor, Maybe you need to stop doing that. That I would have no problem with. If you're going to be like Jesus, stop hurting people. But I guess where we differ is I don't think that maybe your identity, your gender, your sexual orientation, I don't put those in the same category as trafficking people or being mean. So I guess we all have a little asterisk that we put after the phrase, all are welcome. It's just a question of where you want to draw that line. Because I'd honestly rather have a whole church full of 
prostitutes and stoners with their glow wands than a bunch of stuffy judges. And I think that would be more like authentic to Jesus. Let me give you another example. This one came to my mind from deep back in my past. As you know, when I was a kid for a couple years, we lived in Sweden. I was, what, nine when I went there, 11 when I came back. And uh, uh, my dad was serving in one of the churches there. And we had this little kind of a youth group. It was one of the few Swedish churches that had a youth group. And it was like an elementary youth group. I don't know, I was 10, 11 at the time. And I thought I was going to be Mr. Good Evangelist. So I went and invited my friend from school. I said, why don't you come, join, come to the youth group? And I'm, I'm like, bread and the gospel to those, you know, secular Swedes, right? <laughs> I'm doing my part. So I bring my friend to the youth group. And we're sitting down. I don't know what was going on. We were conversation or playing a game or something. And there was a girl in the youth group, and she was from Chile. She'd been adopted. She was an indigenous Chilean, and she had pretty dark skin, and um, was sitting there. And my friend, I don't know, I don't know what precipitated it, but he looks at her, and then he just calls her this slur. And it's kind of a Swedish version of the N-word. I won't repeat it, but it's nasty, right? And, he, and, and it carries a similar kind of just hateful impact. This is my friend that I brought. And of course, he throws this word out at her. She starts crying. You know what I did? Nothing. I sat there like a bump on the log. And you, I could go, okay, yeah, I was a kid. But I was old enough to know that wasn't right. And I couldn't, and I did nothing. I didn't even look at my friend and go, shut up. Truth is, at that age in Sweden, I could have told him a lot of things. I'd learned a lot of different uh, things, like a lot of different phrases that could have been used. I didn't even say, shut up. I didn't tell him anything. I just sat there, and she was bawling. And when the group was done, I said to my friend, hey, what did you think of youth group? Eh, dumb, So what happened the next time? She doesn't want to come back. He's not coming back. That's all stupid. I'm like, man, I didn't know who are you. I didn't know you. I thought you were my friend. And I just sat there. And I learned a lesson from that. It was a hard lesson. But the lesson I learned and the takeaway I got from that is that trying to be neutral in those situations doesn't work. You, you, you have to pick a side. Now, are you going to stand with the bully or are you going to stand with the person being picked on? Where are you going to stand? Who are you going to lose? Who, who are you willing to offend? And, and, and being Christian isn't being nice. I know I grew up in Minnesota. Those two get conflated a lot of the time. But this wasn't, but no, you, you, you got to, and you got to stand up and you got to be willing to have people get mad at you and march out and call you this, that, and the other thing. But you know what? If you're going to be calling her that, Sometimes you have to choose who you lose. Sometimes if you want to be welcoming and inclusive, you have to exclude. Sometimes you have to exclude. If people are going to be hateful or bullying or mean, you've got to be willing to say, not here. Repent or go home. doesn't mean I'm sending you to hell, but you can't be here. You can't be doing that. You can't tolerate that kind of intolerance. You have to exclude to include. 
And like I said, I'd rather be around stoned and debauched people who are loving and upright than to be with people who are hateful or controlling. You can change your behavior and you can change your mind. People can't change their identity. So to be an inclusive church, which is something I strive for and value, because I know that there are people out there in the world who so many people have been hurt in situations like this, and, and sort of the, the trail of tears that's been left by churches that go bad, that sort of get caught up in that rightness and forget about people. You know, the extreme story that I've, maybe I've told, I just, there's a guy I know, he comes from a different version of Lutheranism. He grew up, and when he came out of the closet, his parents were going to beat it out of him. Literally, put him in the closet and beat him. They should be in jail, both of them. They should be rotting in jail. But nothing happened to them. He's an atheist now. Shocking. And is now filling social media with all the reasons why Christianity is horrible. Why? Because his parents had to be right. Had to be right. You're embarrassing our family. Right? Who's going to be the church for them? Who's going to be the church for them? I do have a good footnote, though. As a, little, uh, as a little addendum, aside. Four years after that incident, we were back in Sweden visiting in the summer. And I was walking around the church, and there she was. Um, she had come back. Apparently, with me gone, it was safe to come back. And I took a deep breath and went, oh, thank God. Sometimes God can work in spite of my own apathy, stupidity, so that, that priest of the story had a happy ending. But I guess I would, you know, I hold out that hope, that dream, that the church can be that refuge, that safe place, that alternative to love without precondition, that values things like that more than splitting hairs about what sort of mind-altering substance was in the air at the time. That, that, we can, that we can try to do that, be a place that keeps people safe from judgment and harm. You know, I, I want my church to look like Levi's Party. I mean, that would be an interesting name for the church, but Levi's Party, Lutheran Church. I'm not going to push the move's name. It, 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 I've already printed too much stationery. Um, but I want the church to look like Levi's Party. Love first, accept first, and let the Spirit take over the rest. Amen.